in the Gospel of Luke, the work of hospitality is an immensely important theme, teaching us that it's crucial to discipleship and it is a key characteristic of faith. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, you're not being very hospitable to us today by forcing you to sit in this ungodly and hellish heat. And I say to you, my hospitality comes to you in the form of a more concise sermon. So let's jump in. Again, in the Gospel of Luke, the work of hospitality is an immensely important theme. Just the passage before the passage we just heard read about Martha and Mary is Jesus' teaching on the Good Samaritan. And in this teaching, Jesus is using this story of the Good Samaritan to express to the lawyer who had asked him and inquired about eternal life, Jesus is answering him, saying, ultimately, that the one who loves neighbor and loves God is out of a compassionate heart, giving generous amounts of hospitality to those in need, is the one who is entering into eternal life. Jesus finishes his teaching about the Good Samaritan to the lawyer, saying, go and do likewise. Now, a little bit later in Luke's account, right before Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, right before his triumphal entry, Jesus has been on this long journey, and right before this unique moment of the triumphal entry, Jesus seeks out Zacchaeus, this well-known wee little man who was a tax collector, And Zacchaeus eagerly and joyfully receives Jesus into his home. And in that moment, we learn that Zacchaeus has been orienting his entire life around loving God and loving neighbor. And after that moment, Jesus proclaims that today salvation has entered into this house. For Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, quoting Jesus. In our Old Testament text that we heard read in Genesis 18, Abraham plays host to three men, a very unique account, a theophany, you might say, a unique manifestation of the Lord's presence through these three strange men. And Abraham and Sarah play host to these three men. They prepare a meal. They invite them to stay. And it is in this moment that God speaks to Abraham and Sarah saying, about this time next year, you will have a son. And as we all know, Sarah laughs in this moment because she knows that she's well beyond the age. And yet God in this moment speaks to them saying, is anything impossible for the Lord? In this moment of hospitality, God speaks And in our Luke passage today, the very first thing we witness is the hospitality of a woman named Martha towards Jesus and his fellow travelers who have just arrived into town. Let's read again. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 10. At the very end of Luke chapter 10, just verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So just a quick observation. At this point, this nicely fits within the hospitality theme throughout Luke's gospel and throughout the scriptures. Martha is seemingly quick to welcome Jesus, offer him all that 
him and his fellow travelers' needs and orients her time around them. Surely this is yet another story, just like the others that we have just briefly walked through, about the generous work of hospitality as a means of embodying the kingdom. Surely we're about to hear from Jesus yet again, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near, that the work of salvation is in this house. But this doesn't happen. There's a nuance to this story, an aspect to this one that makes this moment slightly different than the others. This moment is displaying that it's not just merely about hospitality that brings the kingdom of God near, that enters into salvation. Yes, hospitality is needed. In other words, hospitality is needed to set the table, but a nicely set table is not the ultimate aim. Let's read further. In Luke chapter 10, verses 39 through 40, it says, And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, Mary enters into the story, and we now have a rising tension between Martha and Mary, for one is busy serving, and the other one, as the text says, is sitting. And for any of those who grew up with siblings, right, it's, it's pretty easy to recall and understand that it's fairly easy to bother one another or to bend each other out of shape as siblings. A process that does not need much intentional provocation, just the culminating years of differences that pile up on one another that can take just an instant to flare up and to bend each other out of shape. But surely this doesn't happen among the Booker kids or the DeCosmo kids or any other of us adults who have siblings still that we keep in touch with. Luke says, Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. We can imagine pretty easily Martha's perspective. While Mary is sitting inactive, Martha is the one busy, the one doing most of the heavy lifting. However, the story is forcing us to ask, what does the moment require? What does this moment require? Mary's posture of sitting at the Lord's feet, as Luke says, is one of a disciple before a teacher. She is in a posture of submission. She is sitting at the Lord's feet in a posture of submission. Jesus' authority is highlighted in this posture. And in this short little text of five verses, Jesus' title as Lord is used three different times. Again, highlighting the uniqueness of Jesus and the uniqueness of his presence. Mary is also in a posture of attentiveness. She is eager to listen to Jesus, hearing his teaching and receiving the word of God. Just as the good soil, if you recall Jesus' parable of the soils, 
Just as the good soil receives the word of God, so Mary is ready in this moment to soak up this moment for all of its worth. And in Luke's gospel, to receive the word of God, to posture oneself around the person of Jesus, to listen to him, is to join Jesus on this path of discipleship. Is to join Jesus in his life. Now, Mary's posture now brings clarity to Martha's problem. Luke says she's distracted with much serving. So peeved by this moment in time, she uh, is comparing herself to Mary, obviously. She boldly brings it before Jesus. She doesn't just simply maybe insinuate something, you know, something along the nature of, boy, it is so hot in here, or is it just me because I'm doing all the work? No, she doesn't go the route of insinuation. She just goes straight to it and brings it up to Jesus. And she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Sounds like someone's car is going off. Well done. There we go. Tell her to help me. Notice the three personal pronouns used there. My sister. Me. Me. Now, over ten years of marriage, I've realized just how important word choice and tone are to a moment of tension. Very key. And so Martha's response, and even bringing this up to Jesus, is very revealing. And Jesus wisely sees this and responds to her. Let's read verses 41 through 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus calls her name in the double evocative, which rightly is translated as Martha, Martha. It's a compassionate plea for Jesus to grab Martha's attention, to calm her down, to slow her down, and to draw her attention to him. He sees her. He sees through the situation and compassionately names the problem. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The word anxious here means to unduly be concerned and is often due to unbelief in the scriptures, which diverts a person's attention away from proper concerns and onto more minor concerns. Thus, a dreaded cycle begins. Anxiety leading one to minimize one's belief or faith in what should be concerned or one's attention should be upon, and then maximizing more of a concern over minor things. And those minor things just increase one's concerns and anxieties, increases one's lack of belief, and therefore continues the cycle of paying attention to minor things. In other words, getting the means and the ends mixed up. Her anxiety is leading her to distractions, pulling and dragging her away from the one thing that is important in this moment, 
And I would suggest that Martha's anxiety is not unfamiliar to many of us. We live in a very anxious time. We are inundated with messages of fear and insecurity, deeply rooted within a system of anxiety which pervades the social environment around us. We are deeply anxious people in our time. And that affects us. It seeps into the way that we think and the way that we act and therefore the way we distract ourselves. It's not surprising then that we also live in a very distracted age. We are very easily distracted. And because no human being can handle such anxiety, so we have to distract ourselves. We have to pull ourselves away from the things that distract us or are causing our concerns. In an ABC News report, Diane Sawyer observed a study that was happening and taking place at Temple University. And this study was very basic and doing some research on what happens between a parent and a child when a parent begins to look at a phone screen, or any screen for that matter, but in the kind of experiment, it was all phones. And so she watched and they recorded these moments in which parents were in a room with their child with various toys, and then the parents would pull out their phone and start looking at their phone. And the research that it showed and their conclusions are not surprising. The child, in most situations, would very quickly realize that their parent is no longer paying attention to them and then try to maneuver their way in between the line of sight between the parent and the phone, right? Getting in between their arms or somehow working their way into the moment. And then later in the episode, they actually show that pets do the same thing but are much more direct. They show a number of clips of these dogs just smacking phones out of their owner's hands. In essence, saying, I want your attention, not that thing. Kids know when we are distracted before them, when our attention is not upon them. Kids who have not yet been deeply ingrained into a system of anxiety and fears about the future long for presence with parents and those who know them and they can trust. In ways, they want nothing else than to eat, to sleep, and to be fully present with those they love and those they are known by. In essence, this is Jesus' response to Martha. He says, one thing is necessary. Just one thing is necessary. In this moment, know that you have warmly welcomed me, warmly took me in, fed me, set the table, welcomed me into your home, now that you have set the table, now pay attention to me. Turn your focus to this one necessary thing, which is me with you. Do not listen to your anxiety over the small things. Do not distract yourself with much serving, but be present with me. Listen to me. 
and receive the blessing of my life. Receive the blessing of my word to you. Hospitality sets the table. It is a crucial part to discipleship. It is a crucial characteristic of the life of faith. But the aim is attentive listening to Jesus, to his presence with us. This is the one thing that's needed. Now, let's be honest. We need lots of Marthas around. Marthas get things done. They plan ahead. They are ready at a moment's notice and are ready to do the work that is necessary. In essence, they take care of business. And this is a good and necessary thing. And there are plenty of times that those like myself who do not share a a natural affinity to a, a Martha need to become more like Martha. Need to get up and do the work of setting the table, of preparing things, of doing the work behind the scenes. There is a necessary moment for this and a need for that. But what does this moment require? Once the business is done, once the table is set, this text is teaching us that we need to become more like Mary, sitting at the Lord's feet, attentive to what he is saying in this moment. Let us never forget the ultimate end of our service and our hospitality. All of our activity is aimed at establishing a space through which we can be attentive to Jesus. Attentive to his presence, which is always with us. Attentive to the body of Christ through which he is present with us. Attentive to our neighbor and our stranger among us. For we were once that person, brought in by the attentive gaze of Christ and by his word to us. On the path of discipleship, We all need to develop the ability to be prayerfully attentive to one another. And as we are prayerfully attentive to one another, being prayerfully attentive to Jesus. Developing the ability to ask the question, what precisely is Jesus saying in this moment? As we are together, as you are with others, as you are walking through this city, as we gather on a Sunday morning, what precisely is Jesus saying? What is Jesus doing? How is Jesus leading us? And how do we respond to him as we seek to be attentive to one another? He's often ready to speak, teach, and lead us through our presence together. Are we listening to him as we gather together? Or are we too distracted due to being overly concerned with other things. We are about to be invited to Jesus' table, enacting his hospitality towards us each week and his attentive awareness towards us. Let us receive him in this moment, his hospitality, his awareness of each of us, his knowledge and care of each of us, and let us receive his words his promise to us as his child. And as we come to this table, he sends us out 
to become the hospitable and attentive servants that he calls us to be. For Jesus is surely present with us, surely attentive to us, and ready to speak. Let's pray.